everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend part of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner for a few minutes. And today I am joined by Gideon Sang, and today we're going to continue talking about the Enneagram all throughout 2021. We're talking with uh, different types of people, and today I am talking with Gideon, who happens to be a type seven, but we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend part of your day here with me. And I want to tell you a little bit about the podcast. You know, here on the Learner's Corner, we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because as you've probably encountered throughout life, you've realized, oh, I'm not sure that I can have uh, certain conversations with certain people, either because maybe you're afraid of being judged or you're not sure what their reaction is going to be, or uh, you might think that, hey, they're going to shame me from it, or that you might feel ostracized from them. Well, here in the Learner's Corner, we want to create a safe place that maybe you can at least listen in on some of those uh, difficult conversations if you don't feel like you have someone that you can talk with as well. And really, the spirit behind it is for learning and for growing and becoming, you know, better people as well through that. And so this is a podcast for lifelong learners. And really one of the mottos, you know, is that we believe that we can learn from anyone and everyone and from everything and every and anything, no matter who that person is or no matter what the topic is as well, whether we agree with them or not. But as I uh, mentioned you know, today I am talking with Gideon about the Enneagram, and the Enneagram is one of my favorite things to learn about. But recently we introduced, or I introduced, this uh, new segment. We're going to be having uh, our recommended Learner's Corner, or Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week here in just a second. And then at the end of the episode, I'm going to tell you about some of the things that my conversation with Gideon made me think about. But here is my recommended resource, and kind of it's a recommended resources. Um, there was two articles that really stood out to me. They kind of they kind of play um, back and forth on each other. The first one is written by uh, Adam Grant, and it's called "There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling." It's called languishing, and it's found in the New York Times. And really, what it is about. And kind of what he writes about in the article is that, you know, we tend to think that in in the spectrum is that actually we don't really view it. We tend to think of, you know, mental health and kind of the state of our being is is maybe not a uh, a spectrum, but kind of like an either or type of option. Like we're either feeling depressed or we feel like we're flourishing. And Adam introduces this third concept uh, called languishing, which and it really made me think about the article as well. And. Uh, the reason why there are two of them, or let me tell you. And so here's here's a little bit about what he says, you know, for languishing. That languishing is the neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have the symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the full picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. And so, you know, I was preparing for this conversation, or not for this conversation, I was preparing for this episode and getting the re- the Learner's Corner re- recommended resource of the week. And I saw an interesting response to it as well from another person that I love uh, to learn from called Austin Cleon. And he wrote uh, a, an article on his blog and it's, it's in response to Adams. And it says, you know, I'm not languishing, I'm dormant. And, you know, he said that, you know, he got passed around the article from Adam and he didn't really like the term languishing very much. And so he decided that I like the term doormat because, or dormant, like a dormant volcano, that because 
even if you're not in the the ideal circumstances, is that he said, I just don't like the language of flourishing with it. I prefer dormant. And so a couple of things that it made me think about, and, and Adam, you know, saw the response and responded uh, so gracefully graciously and not defensively, which I absolutely love uh, whenever people are able to take uh, that that type of criticism and not see it as as hurtful or as harmful, but as building an, an additive towards it as well. And so here's a couple of things that those things uh, have made me think about is that there is a spectrum of how we feel uh, whenever it comes to our different emotions as well, or even how, how we're doing this mentally, we kind of tend to think that, hey, we're doing good or we're doing bad. But usually it's some mix of both and, and realizing that. Uh, I think the other thing that really stood out to me from it is that is that what you call what you're feeling really matters towards it as well. And the reason why it matters is because we create the world around us with the words that we use. And until we name the thing, and you know, this is something that I've learned. Um, from Brene Brown so much is that until we name the thing, it has power over us. And so uh, if you've been listening to the Learner's Corner for a while, you know, one of the things that I absolutely love is called the feelings wheel, or it's sometimes called the emotion wheel as well, which has really helped me throughout that of just better identifying like what, what state am I in right now? What emotional state am I in whenever it comes to this? And so I'm going to link to all of that stuff in uh, in the show notes, the couple of articles and all uh, all through the emotion wheel in there as well, or the feelings wheel, depending on how you like it. But anyway, as I mentioned earlier, today I am talking with Gideon, and Gideon is the author of this uh, brand new devotional uh, or guide called 40 Days on Being a Seven. And Gideon is an artist, a writer, a photographer, and spiritual leader. And I am so excited to talk with him today about Enneagram Census. And part of the reason is, is because uh, he does not, and we talk about this in the conversation a little bit, is that I don't think he would, he's not the typical seven whenever you think about sevens. And so that's why I absolutely love our conversation. Also, just want to give you a quick heads up that this episode has a little bit of language in it. And so if that bothers you, just remember, safe place, difficult conversations. Here's my conversation with Gideon Sang. Well, Gideon, I'm so excited for you to be on the podcast today and talk about Enneagram Type 7s. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. And and just as we get started, anytime uh, that I talk with somebody, actually, I, I really, before I get into uh, that, I would love to hear kind of your journey for discovering the Enneagram and even uh, your journey of coming to the realization that you are a type seven. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my journey was very uh, seven-ish. <laughs> and so sevens don't like to be boxed or pinned, especially to a title or a category. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I just knew I was resistant to being pinned, especially into a number. Yeah. So I think what happened, I was at a leadership thing, training, 
and the very first day they did some like just personality testing. So we did like Myers-Briggs and then I had never heard of the Enneagram, but I just took it as a test. So that was my introduction probably 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I was so not interested in the results of that test. I don't remember what my number was. Might've mm -hmm. might've been, been a seven. Um, I started a spiritual community in Austin um, and led it for 14 years. And so probably four or five years after that, we had a board retreat and we had a spiritual director who's going to lead the beginning of it just to do some introspection and reflection before we went into our weekend of planning. And he said, hey, how about we do the Enneagram? And I was like, oh yeah, I think I've heard of that did it at something it's like a myers briggs type thing whatever i was like go ahead and do it so he was leading it i was a little more engaged because i was it was a part of my community um so i typed as a seven actually no i hadn't typed yet but they were going through the list of like famous number types mm -hmm. you've probably seen some of those they're like silly and fun right? yeah and it came to the four and it was like Bob Dylan, Alan Watts, like all these like really romantic, poetic people. And I was like, oh God, I want to be a four. I wish you'd be, <laughs> you know, please, please let me, please let me be four. Um, and then it came to the seven and it was all people that I was embarrassed of. It was like, I remember, I think it was like Robert Downey Jr., um, uh miley cyrus i was like no anything but a seven <laughs> uh, so at the end of the day test came out i was a seven i was like okay am i am i not i don't like these tests anyways yeah. whatever the next few years i just did a little more reading a little more studying and came to peace with myself being a seven mm -hmm. years after that i uh, spent a weekend with uh, Franciscan friar who's kind of known for bringing um, the Enneagram into more of a public consciousness. And so he spent a morning um, on it and we had a break. We were in this beautiful hotel in Santa Fe, like around by couches, like a fireplace. And there was seven or eight of us in that room. And so we were mingling, drinking the coffee. And I just walked up to him and he was really sweet. He was like, so giddy. Um, what type do you think you are? And I said, well, uh, I, I, I type as a seven. And then he goes, so this is, a, he's known to be an expert, like one of the, like the founding people who've introduced the Enneagram mm -hmm. to the mass. So I was like, I think I'm a seven. And then <laughs> his response was, huh. Hmm. And he didn't say anything. <laughs> and it threw me into this existential crisis. <laughs> and I was like, who am I? Am I not a seven? I was like, ah. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I've come to terms that I am a seven. I'm embarrassed by all the parts that of myself that I'm embarrassed by. Um, but I think I'm there's some differences. I'm an Asian seven. So I think for the most part, most of the recent literature, even though it might have come from an Eastern typology, most of the recent literature 
is very Western and white centric. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way I express my sevenness is slightly different. And then I also come from like layers of repression. So, you know, I grew up Protestant fundamentalist. So a lot of shame and repression, just like push it down. Mm-hmm. And then I'm Chinese. So in Chinese culture, it's Confucian, which is also very shame based. And so I like to call myself a repressed Asian seven that's blossoming into himself. Mm-hmm. So talk talk a little bit about how uh, how you said you express you probably express or present yourself differently as a seven than maybe the typical seven. How 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 is that so? So I'm you know I can be fun and light and silly, um, but my. My personality just isn't as puppy dog like, mm-hmm. you know. Where a lot of sevens, it's just like a, it's like, hey, yeah. like me, you know, pet me, let's have fun. Um, that's in me, but I'm a little more guarded and careful with who gets the puppy. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yep. And I think that has a lot to do with just being a minority. I grew up in a culture, you know, small town Canada, and then have always just been on the outside of dominant cultures. And even when I was in middle school, I talk about this in the book. So being an outsider, being a person that just looked different, came from a different culture, my parents spoke a different language. When I went back to Hong Kong, I thought that, oh, okay, I'm going to be with my people. Mm-hmm. And I got there in middle school, which is a pretty formative season anyways. And I was more different, even though my skin color was the same. But culturally, I'm Canadian. Mm. you know. And I remember that being such a jarring experience of really not feeling like I fit in anywhere in this world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so all that to say, you know, there's a layer of, my full sevenness that just comes out to people after I trust you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to something that you had mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, you said that you don't necessarily like being uh, with the label or the type or uh, and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm just curious to hear how, how just more of the process went to you accepting like, Hey, I, I am going to accept the the seven type instead of, um, you know, not doing that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think where I've really come to accept it is you've heard me kind of speak to that. The parts of myself that I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. of. And so I think I like the Enneagram where I can really delve into my shadow and my shadow side and when i am under stress i go to the shadow of the one and those things have just been deeply profound for me of uncovering blind spots of offering myself compassion in some of my shadow parts enough to actually say okay this is kind of embarrassing but this is actually who i am and so this is this is all of it. And I think at the heart of it, um, how I've, I, th- I don't think it's the only tool, 
But for me, it's been a helpful tool. In the end, I think we're all just saying, hey, this is me. Like this is this is this is all of me. Mm-hmm. Is it, am I okay? You know, am I can, am I worthy of love? Uh, and I think we live our lives. We strive. We get degrees. We get jobs. We get. We're doing all these things. We're we're really asking that question. I think. Yeah. And I found the enneagram to be profoundly insightful to accept parts of myself that I was embarrassed of. And then when, you know, someone who's well-versed in the Enneagram, we can talk about parts of ourselves that are embarrassing or that when we're under stress and it's very healing. Mm. Talk, talk to me more about what helped you just along your journey of, of getting to that place of, of greater self-love, because regardless of what type you are, I think you hit it right on the head. We all need to move to that place of greater self-love for us. So what helped you along that path? Um, for me, it was multi, you know, one, it was just, I was in place in my life where I was ready for it. Hmm. So Wendell Berry has that poem and he said, it's the impeded stream that sings. You heard that. So mm-hmm. when when a when a stream is flowing, right? It's the rocks, it's the things that impede the stream that make it sink. Mm-hmm. And I had just lived, you know, four decades and was running out of energy to keep this version of myself going, of this thing that I've tried so hard to present to the world. It stopped working. Um, and life kind of hit this wall, which I think is a gift, you know, it's a hard thing. I don't wish it upon anyone, but I wish the grace of that experience upon everyone. Mm. So what happened was I started meditating regularly, not always, I actually didn't know this, but sometimes when you meditate, so your mind, that chatter that's always going on starts to relax and then some of these protectors or managers that we have start chilling out but what happens then for me at least and i think this is true for some people um your your trauma starts going oh okay you know we you're you're ready to look at this now mm-hmm. and so I started having these nightmares related to early childhood trauma that I wasn't really that connected to, which led me to therapy, which the Enneagram coinciding with therapy, I would say was really the beginning of the conversation of, you know, who, who am I actually? Mm-hmm besides what I do, besides this thing that I'm trying to present to the world, who am I? And then, you know, how have those younger parts that now express itself in the world as stress or um, shadow? How can I bring that to the light? So it's pretty complex. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I love the Enneagram. It's a little bit complicated to get into, 
but it's so nuanced Mm -hmm. and really uh, partners well with whatever, lots of different types of healing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's part of the reason why I love the Enneagram as well, because you mentioned it is, it is complex, but we are as complex as humans too. (laughs) Yeah. The, The more, the more I learn about myself, the more I n- know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just, just like the, just like the universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm at, I'm asking uh, each person uh, that I that I talk with about the Enneagram. If you had to describe your type, how would you how would you describe the type seven? Depends on how gracious I am with myself that day. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I usually use like. Um, I guess the less kind way I like to describe the seven is like the blind optimist. <laughs> Just like uh, op- optimism and positivity to fault, mm-hmm. you know? So that's really the shadow yeah. of the seven. Yeah. And if I'm more gracious and kind to myself, you know, the like the curious adventurer, the wanderer, mm-hmm. Yeah the epicure who's just so curious about so many different things and is, is trying to live, like come alive and experience life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. There's a beauty to that. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we were talking beforehand and I'm not a seven, uh, but in my, in my threeness, I, I can relate to the type three with the optimism part. Yeah. The threes are very positive, right? I was going to say, uh, to the point of sometimes uh, my my friends will refer to me as Mr. Spin because I put such a spin on the situation. It's like, oh, no, it's really a crappy situation, and you just need to be more honest about it. Yeah, yeah. The spin or reframing, yeah. that's like the seven's little magic. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what would you say uh, that you found through through your own experience and even maybe just talking with other sevens that tend to be um, very healthy or life-giving practices for the type seven? So for the seven, for me, and for sevens that I know are really doing some inner work, you know, we're so I've I've been I'll just talk about myself. Um, like my mind and my intellect has been such a big part of my identity, and I think a lot of sevens are like that. So I remember, um, I think a couple of years ago, I decided to go off coffee for like a month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fine. You know, I might get a headache. Not a big deal. And then I remember those first few days. It wasn't just like physically challenging. I got the headaches. But it was a like more emotionally weighty. This It was like disorienting without coffee. It was like someone took the turbo off of my engine. And I didn't feel like myself. It was strange. And then I realized that growing up Asian American, education is a big deal. You know, it's like a it's it's a it's an it's an important 
uh, mask, cultural mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved around a lot and I'm just a little more right brain, a little more artistic and didn't really fit into the stereotype. This is also a Southern thing, just not wanting to fit into the stereotype. I just didn't enjoy math. I wasn't that great at it. When we moved to Hong Kong in middle school, I told you um, that earlier, they were so advanced that it just became academically overwhelming for me. And I, I just stopped trying. And then so in high school, I found other identities, social identities, athletic identities. And that part about whether I'm smart, whether I'm academic, I just kind of pushed it to the wayside. But it was something very important. My parents very culturally important. Um, and then I remember I was in college and I was going to like a freshman lecture. I think it was like a history, Western, Western civilization. And they had like a little uh cafe with like a muffin and a coffee and it, I, it was like the first memory of me drinking coffee and i remember drinking coffee sitting in the lecture hall a few hundred students and the professor started talking and i remember like just feeling so exhilarated that one i understood everything this professor was saying and I was, I had my own ideas about it. And it was like this light bulb went on, you know what I mean? Like I got the turbo to the thing, you know, I'm very, Seth Sevens are very head centric. So I'm in my head. Yeah. So I found my turbo, you know? And so um, for me, because I've been so in my head, this, or this is a long way of getting to that practice you're asking. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm great with ideas. I'm great with quick thinking. I'm great with planning. I'm great with, you know, or not not organizing, but like a dreaming, visioning. Yeah. So the practice for me has been: how do I get out of my head? How do I slow it down? How do I be still? And then how do I get into my body? For me, mm-hmm. how do I get to my body? How do I get into my heart? Um, so meditation was a big one, but it's, it's, it was super challenging yeah. for a really active person, for a person who just in my head all the time and it's taken years and it's still, you know, unbelievably difficult. Um, just practicing like awareness and breath, you know, my breath practice of, when you concentrate on your breathing, you can't be thinking thoughts at the same time. Mm. Yeah. So at any practice like that, yeah. embodiment, getting to my heart. And then as a seven, we do anything to avoid sadness. Mm. I'm fantastic. <laughs> I've often I've often said sevens, sevens that are depressed look like they're having the time of their life because mm-hmm. they're probably going from party to party to experience to experience and to the external world it's like ah it was such a good time but it, there's a deep deep dark sadness that we've been and so finding ways to 
You know, I can feel when I'm about to cry. I feel my body just go, no. <laughs> and just go, okay, it's coming. It's coming. Just, just let it, let it, let it come. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do you want something more specific than that or? No, I, I think that's good. And I think that's helpful. What, what do you think that uh, most people probably don't know about sevens unless you are a seven? Hmm. That's a great question. What do people not know about sevens unless you're a seven? Um, that we're possibly the most hard on ourselves after the Enneagram one. Mm. The ones you can tell, you know, they're usually a little more buttoned up, a little more. Um, but sevens, we go to the shadow of the one. Mm. And so it, like, we've got a smile on our face. But we're so so unbelievably hard on hard on ourselves. Mm. That's one that I don't think many people know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I think the idealism. I don't know if people know this, but I think sevens are very um, like idealistic and authentic. And most sevens I know actually really want deep connection, mm. but often don't know how. So sevens tend to have a lot of shallow relationships, mm-hmm. which I, I do as well. But we're 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 longing and yearning for a deep connection, and sometimes we may not yet know how. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Um. What what would you say is and and this might be uh, a good tie into just what you were saying for for the person who is in relationship with a seven you know whether it's a friendship or their their partner or their boss or anything like that um, for the person who is in a relationship with a seven what would be like a couple of things to be like hey keep keep this in mind whenever you are um, you know interacting with or doing life with uh, a type seven person. Mm -hmm. Mm, I think because we can be so hard on ourselves and because we've often perfected that external, people can see through it pretty easily, but there's that veneer of lightness, Mm -hmm. you know, but we're so hard on ourselves and just know that sevens are pretty sensitive actually. Mm. Um, and so it doesn't seem like they need more encouragement because they seem so positive. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. But I think that positivity is really this way of like, Hey, can you, can you just show me I'm okay? Like, you know, um, yeah, and then when sevens plan, you know, we're we're a little bit of uh, we're addicted to planning and dreaming. Let let the sevens just have like sp- let them speak their dreams. It doesn't mean that 
all these things we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how we find our way in the world. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It's a little bit of like a shotgun. Yeah. Just like vomiting <laughs> dreams. And then we'll find our way in it somehow. Yeah. But I think a lot of people want to bring sevens down to earth and just say, well, that's not reality or you can't drink, you know, but we're just, we're just processing out loud. Mm-hmm. And that's what our, our processings sound like these audacious dreams. Sometimes. Uh, what, what advice would you give to sevens as it concerns? Hey, your, your natural tendency is to do this. And so in relationships, be careful of, you know, whatever it might be. Hmm. I'll speak to myself. I don't know if this is all sevens. Mm -hmm. It's probably a seven tendency. I can project onto people and see goodness in them that they don't even yet see in themselves, which can be a gift, right? But I can be blindly optimistic to a relationship that's probably one I shouldn't be a part of or I have no business in being in to try to rescue. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So yep. I I'm overly optimistic about people. And I think what what's happening there is I just want people to see the best in me. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing the best in everyone else. And so for me, sometimes it's not always an accurate depiction of that person. And so that's burned me. I've made mistakes, especially in a work environment of wanting to partner with people or giving people too much benefit of the doubt sometimes mm-hmm. to a point where it, it's hurt me pretty badly. Yeah. What, uh, what would you say is, Hey, uh, like, what would you say is something that you would, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this question, but, uh, what would you say is something that type sevens do really well. That would be like, hey, uh, all the other types can learn this thing from the type seven because the type sevens do it so well or they do it uh, or it comes very naturally to them. Like enjoyment of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really trying to mine life for its beauty and passion and pleasure i think mm-hmm. well, um yeah you want me more specific well i was i was i was gonna say so uh for for the people who that doesn't come very naturally towards what would be like hey you know try uh this like doing this or thinking about this will maybe help lead to the greater enjoyment of life or the joy in life that you talked about. Mm. Because I was going to say, just because I was saying for, for a lot of us, it doesn't come naturally. And so we need to think through, Hey, what are the things that we can do to be proactive in that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to maybe start a list of like things you love Mm. and things you would like to experience in life and give yourself permission to experience those things i think we all if we just sit for a second huh what brings me joy we should do that yeah (laughs) yeah um 
And I actually think it's, for me at least, it's pretty good life advice. And it sounds so painfully cheesy. Um, so, you know, Joseph Campbell? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a seven. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's possible. He gives off seven energy, perhaps. But you know the one line he's known for? It's so, like, it's so cheesy. I'm so, like, it's almost embarrassing to say it out loud. But it's, there's deep truth in it. Mm -hmm. He says, follow your bliss, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to judge that line. I used to be like, whatever. Seems lame. Mm -hmm. Cheesy. But for me at this point in my life, you know, I'm about to turn 47 in a few weeks. That that feels true to me. You know, and to trust in my being that those things are worthy parts of me and worthy to follow that path. But a lot of people, it's scary. It's actually scary to live that way. It takes courage. Mm -hmm. What What do you think that uh, that that fear is rooted in? The fear is rooted in failure. What if I try and fail? And out of failure, if you play that out, what if I no longer have security? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's the question. We want to just get through this life? Or do we want to do we want to live it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Do we want to live what we've been told? that life should be or should we go experience it for ourselves yeah. i got uh one other thing that i want to ask you but before that are there any other uh thoughts about the seven that hey i really want to make sure that we cover this before uh before we close out our conversation I totally get it why sevens can be obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Oh. Uh, and of course, there's lots of types of sevens mm -hmm. and lots of varying maturity and health of different types of sevens. But, um, yeah, maybe that's it. There's lot. There's many types of us. Yeah, yeah. We come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Uh, last question I want to ask is: How would you say you are you are different from learning about the Enneagram and uh, and doing just doing the work that the Enneagram has has shown you that you need to do? So I think that I talk about things. And this, I don't, this could be a seven thing, but it's just how I operate. Mm -hmm. 
I talk about things I don't yet fully understand, but I talk about it in a way that my cognitive understanding believes I got it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. And then my embodiment or my lived experience is about five years behind that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like a lot of songs or even like that Wendell Berry poem. Yeah. You know, it's the impeded stream that sings. I used to, you know, I'd say that, 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 and it comes in a stanza that's really beautiful. I've said that line for 10 years. And then my life fucking punched me in the face. And I was like, oh, it's much prettier in a line. And now I have to live it. Yeah. And I think a lot of the seven was like that. I was like, oh, these are nice ideas. And we like adventure. We like that. We avoid pain. Mm -hmm. It's really cute to talk about how sevens avoid pain. And then we need to engage our sadness and sorrow and trauma. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting idea, right? Yeah, especially sevens. Like, I can talk about that all day. And then five years later, I actually had to experience that mm. and be fully confronted with the pain that comes with being human. Mm. You know, the trauma that comes from growing up not a part of mainstream society. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the pain of your family of origin and the trauma that was passed down that they're carrying they're doing the best they could those wounds are heavy and they're real and so yeah i hope that all of us as we talk because it's super interesting to talk about it's like delightful can be cocktail party conversation um but then i hope at some point we get to live it a little bit yeah. and experience well, Gideon, I know that people are going to want to pick up uh, your new devotional, 40 Days on Being a Seven, and continue to learn from you. Where's the best place for people to go to pick up the book and to follow you as well? Um, I believe it's on most um, outlets that you can buy. Um, I think you can go to IVP. Um, it's available on Amazon. So I think IVP can point you to all the different places you can buy. Great. How about keeping up with you? Um, I, let's see, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, Gideon Sang, T-S-A-N-G. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks so much for just sharing, sharing your life and sharing your work with us. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate that. I think my biggest takeaway from my conversation with Gideon is really just the idea that people are so much bigger than the categories that we try to place them into. And, you know, as I uh, mentioned earlier, is that, you know, Gideon doesn't necessarily look like the, the what you would call, I guess, the typical seven or the, the normative, I, I don't want to say, not normative, but doesn't look like the, the person that you think about whenever you think of a typical seven. And I think that's why it's so important that we be careful of how we categorize people because, you know, we try to categorize people to better understand them. And we just got to have to, we have to be careful of how we use things like the Enneagram, how we use things like personality tests and whether or not we're truly using it 
using these things to help us understand how we can love other people better or of whether or not we're actually trying to use these things to manipulate people to get what we want from them. And intentionally, unintentionally, we can use it to our benefit and not to the person's benefit. And so one of the best ways and one of the things that I try to remind myself is that people are bigger than the categories that you try to place them into. And we need to allow the space for that as well. So that's kind of my big takeaway from my conversation with Gideon. I would love to hear some of the things that you're learning from as well and some of the things that really stood out to you and from my conversation with Gideon. And so the best way to make sure that that happens or to reach out to me is by going through Instagram. My handle is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you. Or if there's something that you would love us to cover on the podcast as well, or you got a certain topic that you would love to learn about, you can reach out to me through any of those methods as well. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode, go ahead and hit the follow button or yeah, hit the follow button on uh, any of your plat- any of the platforms or leave a rating and write a review. That really does help the podcast so much. Anyway, thanks so much. Oh, I almost forgot at the I forgot to put this in the intro. In in the intro. Thank you to Garrett Oler who does the editing for the podcast and Sam Massey who has created the awesome music for this podcast. So grateful for the both of you and helping make this happen and grateful for you to listen in to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>